It's episode 21 of the Improv London podcast with this week's guest, Maria Peters. This ain't gonna be easy. Welcome to episode 21. And I just want to take a moment to, and I know this is kind of cheesy, but just because things are cheesy doesn't mean they're not true. Uh, Thanks to everyone that's been listening so far to this episode and to previous episodes. When I thought about creating this podcast, it really, the important part of it for me was the having the conversations with people. But uh, as the weeks have gone by, the amount of listeners has become increasingly um, important to me. And I think it's just amazing that, you know, we've got some episodes when we've got, we've got episodes where we've got, you know, over 200 listens. At the moment, we've got Steve Rowe on 228. And we've got Chris Mead on 232. And we've got Katie Shute at 219. So, uh, wow, just thank you very much. And do tell your friends if you think you'll enjoy them. Anyway, Maria, she was brilliant, as I expected she would be. We had a great time talking about her about her being a DJ uh, on a breakfast show and her work with Lauren Shearing as part of Breaking Entering. And, uh, and I particularly enjoyed Maria's approach to accents. And we also talked about The Playground, a regular night, which is doing great things for the Improv London community. Do enjoy. I was hoping that they were going to supply these in the plastic cups and then I could ask them to write improv on one and London on the other and I could take a picture and it would be... Anyway. Oh, and then they failed us. Actually, I prefer a proper mug. It's true. There were so many options. There were so many options. I thought, well, I saw you look baffled at one point. I, well, I thought, I thought if, if Maria doesn't want milk, she'll probably have thought to mention that beforehand. No, you're right. Perfect. Should um, I get a little somewhere to That would be fab. Thank you. Ooh. Ah, thank you very much. Oh, not on this. <laughs> you can tell you've got experience of the audio recording world oh. from your the fact that we don't put them yes. the cup with the LT bags directly in front of the microphone. I used to work in radio. You did used to work in radio. Yeah. I was reading about this on the train on the way here. You used to have a breakfast show. Oh, I did. Tell me about your breakfast show. I would totally listen have to that. Have we started? Is this... we start... well, we... <laughs> Let's see. If we've got any gold, we've started. <laughs> if we haven't. Um, my breakfast show, I was... 20 years old um, and uh, in New Zealand and it was quite a small town in New Zealand and um, uh, it was called Classic Hits. Classic Hits, nice. Yeah and so it was, it's quite, I guess you'd say the equivalent, the New Zealand equivalent of magic right? Uh, or heart. Right. Nice. Um, yeah and so the thing that I remember the most is that I didn't really choose who my radio partner was uh, so I just got put with this guy and we just didn't really click oh no. so the whole thing was just pretending that we got on <laughs> every morning from six till ten <laughs> so I didn't stay in it very long but I was like oh do I have to spend the rest of my life get a getting up early and b pretending that this is the greatest thing when really I want to throttle him <laughs> Um, so yeah it was short-lived it was only, oh thanks um, it was it was only about a year and a half right. of radio, and then uh, I came over to England, to <laughs> London. Lovely. Yeah. Had you always wanted to get into radio? Or? Yeah, I, I was trying to decide, interestingly, between teaching or radio. For some reason, those were my two options out of school that I gave myself. Yeah. Uh, and I did a gap year over here uh, teaching, 
as, a, or as an assistant teacher and I was like, oh, it's too formal yeah. for my kind of style. Uh, so maybe radio is the way forward. So I went back and studied in radio and then got a job straight out but then didn't really enjoy it. <laughs> oh, no, what to do? Come to London. And so, yeah, so I came back to London. So were there, were there any, uh, any regular sports on the breakfast show? Did you have any games that you oh, played? Oh, yes. <laughs> you know what? Also, can I just say that I played games on the day that 9-11 happened. Right. Because I didn't know what to do because I was so young. I was like, like, should we change our whole program or should we try and keep having fun? And so I kept having fun, which is one of my biggest, like, oh, why did I do that? Because um, otherwise the terrorists... Would have won. Would have won. Oh my goodness, Stuart, that's why. Oh, they've won. That's, I've won then. That's great. You, in a war against the Gina Terry <laughs> and Maria Peters, DJ on New Zealand yeah. equivalent. What was it? Classic, classic hits. Classic hits. Yeah, hits of the uh, 70s, 80s, 90s, and today. You've still got it. Oh my God. You've still got it. Oh, so this awful game that I played, which is called Hole in the Headline. <laughs> Which, uh, which was, uh, there would be a head, right, this is when the internet first started, right, so I had to go on, oh, I think it was Yahoo, find a headline from around the world, I'd take out a word, and then people would call in, yeah. or um, I think well, we're doing text, that's so I think we're doing text in the odd email of what they thought the, the word was. Like, this was before anyone had Google on yeah, the old yeah, times, yeah. and they could just Google it. And so it would be like, I don't know, Man runs into bedroom to find what with his dog or something. And then people would suggest what it was. That was one of my favourite games. And the fact that sometimes, you know, they got it wrong and they came up with a hilarious that's alternative. It, that's it. Sometimes the real story was the most hilarious. Yes, sometimes. Yeah, and sometimes it was just sad. <laughs> but yeah, those that's I because I did do it a little bit solo for a time as well before I had my this guy. Nicholas, God, I don't remember his last name. Press, very best not to Yeah, he know. knows who he is. He knows who he is. He knows hurt. we didn't get on. He'll be hurt. Yeah. <laughs> he knew you could know, because that would be awful. Oh. He thought he got, he had this really kind of good like, relationship going, and it's like, actually, he hates him all the time, and he found out by this podcast exactly. how gutting would that be. He's in New Zealand somewhere, probably on radio still. <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, I forgot what I was saying, but something, I did that. Games that you played on the radio That's when it. you were in. Well, yeah, what I did realise is that it was a lot of improv. And you know what? I think that's why I didn't like him, because he used to block everything. Ah. So I'd be like, hey, Nicholas, why don't we um, look at, I don't know, <laughs> Tina Turner's back catalogue or something. I mean, honestly, my office were better than that. But, <laughs> but I'd say something like that, and he'd be like, no, I think what we'll look at is Britney Spears or whatever. And I'd be like, okay. <laughs> So that's why it never gelled, I think, as a team, looking yeah. back now. Yeah. That's why we didn't work, yeah. because we weren't improvising properly, and that's all radio is, really. Yes. Yeah. So that's, yeah. Ah, that's cool. That's my Excellent. radio background. That's your radio background. That's great, yes. Because um, mm. I, um, I did a little bit of research on the train, uh, on the train here. I don't really do Great. Thorough. Um, I like it. Thorough, yes. Yeah. With a passion. Who is this describing? Uh-oh. With a passion for entertainment, um. creativity, and a real talent for engaging audiences with any content given to her, there's never a dull moment when she's in the room. Oh my god. Maria Peters, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> what an intro. Where did that come from? Oh, no, that's, oh, that's my work profile. Yeah, they're, they're making me interesting work at work. Um, I work, I do training 
corporate training as well as improv training. So that's why I'm sounding kooky and wacky. <laughs> like if I'm training in presentation skills or, um, I don't know, uh, communications or negotiation or something, that's how they sell me, apparently. Cool, cool. Yeah. So, um, you mentioned coming to London. Yes. Um, I came to London in 2002. And I plan to stay for two years, and then... Let me check the map for that. <laughs> it don't quite add up. I know, <laughs> I fell in love with London. Um, and, and weirdly, actually discovered um, improv 2007 or eight. I think it's 2008 I discovered it. So, fell in love with London even before improv. Um, but yeah, and... Uh, never made it back to New Zealand. It's okay, I am here legally. <laughs> that would be awful if the uh, appropriate government department was listening to the podcast. Lord. Hang on a minute, we haven't got her. Damn it! <laughs> Foiled! Yeah, no, I'm, I'm okay to be here, but yeah, I'm, what is it, 14 years later, loving this town. Brilliant, mm. that's what we love to hear. Yeah, it's great. It's great. I'm from New Zealand, obviously, originally, and my accent's very weird. And that people in New Zealand are like, oh, where are you from? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> people in uh, uh, England are, are like, yeah, that's an interesting accent. Where are you from? <laughs> so I'm home nowhere now. I am halfway between England and New Zealand. In the Atlantic, I guess. Somewhere, <laughs> this accent. It's an odd one. Mm. So you were uh, teaching a class today? Yes. What, what uh, class were you teaching today? I was just teaching... Um, Game of the Scene, oh, right. which is a Saturday one-off advanced kind of workshop, uh, and it, all about finding the funny in the scene. Um, brilliant, because I'd like to know how to do that. Please. Would you? That would be brilliant. If you just tell me now. Well, I, I haven't mean, gone to the class, but if you could just tell me for a pint of, pint of tea. Sure. We have got pints of tea. For those of you who can't see, obviously, everyone. Hey, hey if you come on this podcast, I'm going to get you a big cup of tea. It's no ordinary cup of tea. Yeah. We don't in... have to drink all of that, because that's... It's sort of a week's worth, it, isn't it? Like, they gave us two tea bags. That's hey. how big this mug of tea is. <laughs> Which is good. It'll last. It'll last. Go large or go home. Mm -hmm. uh, and if we do need to go to the toilet, then that's also... I'll probably edit that bit out. Oh, okay. I mean... <laughs> oh, we can keep it as... Anyway. Um, yes, game of the scene. So... What's the game of the scene in your mind? Well, uh, I always start by telling the students... Um, this is a particular style of improvisation and it's not the only way to find funny things in the scene. And I think people, it relaxes people a bit because it can take a little while to get your head around it. And it's one of the, one of the key things in improv where people get frustrated or uh, think that they're shit. Oh, sorry. No, no, that's fine. That's fine. Uh, think, it's been worse. It's okay. Been worse. Think that they're shit because they can't work it out. Like, they understand the theory, but they can't quite put it into practice as soon as you can sometimes other skills. Um, I talk about UCB and how um, a lot of the game of the scene stuff comes from them because they're in New York and they had to get to the funny quite quickly because New York audiences are a lot like, yeah, 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 yeah but yeah. be funny because yeah, that's yeah, why yeah. we're here. That's Ch interesting. Yeah, Chicago, because you know with UCB, of course, the uh, UCB4 came from Chicago and then went to New York. That Chicago traditionally is a bit slower burning with their improv and the audience are traditionally uh, more patient. So that tends to be the difference in styles. Um, so with this game of the scene, it's about, I heard uh, Will Hines, 
say it once on a podcast, which I think really uh, defines how they work, is that you improvise for the first bit of the scene. So you're doing your standard yes ending, you're finding out where you are, who you are. Then something unusual happens or something interesting. And then from there on, you kind of become sketch writers on the spot in that you're not necessarily yes ending anymore. You're just agreeing that this is what the funny thing is and how can we uh, engineer stuff so that you can do more of that funny thing. Um, and so that's where I think people who are traditional, like purists in improv, don't like Game of the Scene because it can feel a bit um, like uh, it's what's the like it's kind of there's right and wrong. Whereas sometimes in improv, people are like there is no you know wrong response because I'm improvising. And but with Game of the Scene, there kind of is a, a better choice to make because you're trying to get to the funny thing as the outcome. So. Um, so I always start my classes by saying, don't worry if you don't get this, <laughs> don't worry if you feel frustrated, because it took me like a year and a half to even be like, oh, I think I get it now. Right. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Just to the point where you can look at a scene and go, that's the funny thing, do more of that. Takes takes a long time. Mm. Um, but the great thing is, is that it's always hilarious, because that's the point of each scene. So you're getting rid of any extraneous stuff and just going for the funny. Mm. Um, often at the expense of the rea of reality sometimes. In really? That, yeah, I think sometimes um, people worry that they have to give truthful responses, which you do have to do at the start. Yes. But um, towards the end of the scene, when you're sketch writing, you can go into absurd because you've already established that platform. Right, okay. So, um, so it can get crazy, but it's hilarious, and that's all that matters because that's all you're going for every time. Uh, yeah, it's great. It's a great workshop to teach. Cool. Mm. And so, when you, so are you switching modes from? So when you say you go into sketch writing mode, mm. is that a different way of thinking from an improvising mode? I think so. I think like the people in the troupe or in the scene agree that they're going to go for gamey scenes because yeah. there's nothing worse than different people in a scene trying to go for different things yeah. one person's like oh we're getting divorced so I'm genuinely going to be upset and the other person's like yeah and I've got an elephant da, 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 da. and you're like oh god there's, like it's not really hitting the mark either of you <laughs> so um so I'd say like if you're agreeing that you want to be a, a sketch type troupe that improvises um then you improvise to start to find out who you are and where you are and stuff um, sometimes people can come in with an idea, a stronger idea, but you, there's a point in the scene where you both have to agree what path you're going on together. Like, you're going to be the, the guy who always um, falls over when I mention the word train or something, We've, <laughs> because we've established a little bit of a pattern, so let's keep playing that game. Right, yes. Um, and so that's going to be the game. Uh, because in, in any improv world, you might just stop doing that uh, in a normal scene and you might just start doing something else because you feel like the emotion should take over. But in a game scene, you, uh, you're sticking to the game. Like you're both kind of lean and efficient and we're going for that funny and we're doing the train thing and you falling over and we're just, however we can play that, um, uh, then, yeah, to get the laughs. Right, yes. Mm. Yes. 
It's Ooh. a great example whenever I say train you fall over. <laughs> I mean, the classic game of the scene. I mean, I, I see that a lot on the improv scene. And, I mean, I love it every time I see it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, let's, let's hope we have many more. Well, <laughs> that's what we were doing today, actually. We started off by looking at how simple a game can be. In that, uh, like, uh, there's some really great scenes today just with, like, someone coughing and someone getting annoyed at them coughing. And that's, as, you know, and then they cough louder and then they get more annoyed until the end when they, you know, yeah. explode in whatever sense. And that, and the game can be that simple. It doesn't have to be, you know, some really heady premise. It can be just, what's funny, let's do more of that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that sounds really cool. Mm. So, uh, you mentioned uh, how in New York they had to get to the funny really quickly mm. and in Chicago audience which is a little bit patient, more patient, which helps me really understand the different styles of the two schools. Mm-hmm. So what would your default, I'm sure we can do many different styles, what's your default style? Oh, if, if we were yeah. going to, um, sometimes I ask um, when people teach students and then other people teach those students, they can then see that they've been taught by that person. Mm-hmm. I've not found out a quick way of asking this question, but if people could tell that they've been taught by you, yeah. how would they be able to tell? Yeah. And how does that relate to your style? What do my improv children look like? Yes. <laughs> Got it. That's better. I'm going to say that. I'm going to take that. I'm going to use that more often. Uh, assuming that I have given birth by myself. Um, okay. So, I, well, with the caveat, I obviously like to produce well-rounded children <laughs> and they can follow their dreams and go to university or not. It's up to them. <laughs> But um, if I, if there's one thing I like to make sure that every uh, student child uh, has, is actually the opposite to the game of the scene. Um, I know it's weird because I've just been banging on about it. I do love both ends of the spectrum, but the other end, which is where my heart is, which is uh, the IO style, uh, IO in Chicago, is. Uh, where I totally fell in love with this, and I guess it's my default, which is going for relationship, going for reality, um, and the laughs through recognition, rather than the laughs through, uh, that was a funny bit of uh, wordplay or clowning or whatever. Um, So I always try to instill in students that to be brave, to, go for those times in the scene where there aren't laughs, where you do just have real honest conversations and then knowing that the funny can still come. It doesn't mean that they have to be dramatic scenes about people having cancer and dying, um, but it's more about if you play the truth, well, it's truth and comedy, isn't it? Um, so especially when, when I'm working with people in long form class, I always try to uh, get that in there. I, and sometimes I do a one-off uh, class called Real Talk, um, which is about taking away all those layers of the character that we might hide behind and actually saying, what would you say? What would, what would Maria do if someone came up to me and said, you know what, you're really ugly or something like that? Then I would be really hurt rather than coming back with the clever quip of, well, your mum said... <laughs> so playing that moment of some, like, you know, your best friend's just insulted you and said for the first time that they think that you're ugly and then... I love that tension that you can build and then shatter with humour in other ways. So hopefully, 
my students have a bit of that in it, in, the, in it, in them, because um, I feel like that's where I like to go to. Uh, and me and Lauren, we did the, Lauren Shearing, who's my duo partner, we did the um, IO five-week intensive uh, a couple of years ago. And we both wonderfully, while we were there, fell in love with that style. So then when we came back, we both were totally on the same page about what the truth and the scenes and how to go for that. Um, TJ and Dave, have you heard of them? Yeah, of course you have. Um, and then there's another. No, I haven't. Tell <laughs> sorry, me about TJ. I'm sorry, Stuart. No, 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 no. Because I'm playing. Obviously, I haven't heard of them. Yeah. But maybe people are listening okay. haven't heard of TJ and Dave. So sure. What's your TJ and Dave take? This is the TJ and Dave takeaway. <laughs> well. This might be controversial, but they are one of my two favourite duos in the world. I think there's another duo which I enjoy watching better. I know your face, if anyone could see your face right now. It's a good job, it's an audio format, <laughs> frankly. So TJ and Dave are widely sort of thought of as the best improv duo in the world. Um, because A, they've been going for so long, but just they do that style where they act as well as get the funny and often acting is thrown a bit by the wayside I think um, with comedy sketches and that people just end up being themselves or being a bit goofy but every TJ and Dave show I've seen, I think I've seen about I don't know, four or five, you believe every character, you forget that it's a TJ and Dave show, you forget that you're watching improv, you, their object work is incredible, their characters are so nuanced, like they don't do big huge accents, they just do Ah, they switch and <laughs> they switch into each other's characters, and you forget who originally played the character because they just so. Have you seen them? I have not seen ah. them. I've watched them on video, and I've read their book, which yeah. is very good. Yeah, um, it's all those books right up. I'm underlining that, and that, and that. <laughs> yeah, that's just underlining all of it. <laughs> that's what I did with um, Truth and Comedy. Oh right, yeah. yeah, yeah. I was reading it, and I was like, oh, I should put an asterisk here for coming back to it. And then by the end, yeah, the whole book was just listed with it. And, oh, this is useful. Um, but the other duo I love, <laughs> and they um, are quite inspiring to Lauren and I, are um, a duo called Dummy. Uh, right, yes. Who, have you heard of Yeah, so they are Colleen and Jason Schott's Colleen Doyle, also from Chicago. And they are also uh, inspired by TJ and Dave. Um, but again, very similar style um, in that they play scenes, they take their time, they're very patient. Um, they came over here and they did some shows and oh, I wish I could define why I like them a little bit more. It might just be because of the male-female dynamic and, and that's, that feels like they've got more options to play. I don't know, but... Um, they are incredible as well. So I would put them in the same category as uh, TJ and Dave. If you ever get a chance to see Dummy, do it. <laughs> cool. Mm. Yeah, so let's talk about breaking and entering. Okay. So how did you and Lauren meet? And then how did you decide... Or did you <laughs> did you decide to form a group and then you met? No, it's, it's, a, modern, it's a modern world. I couldn't think of it happening. Um, I met Lauren by accident, always, uh, in that she came to see an improv show of mine but a friend, a mutual friend of ours brought her along and it was a fairly terrible one, it was early days um, and then after the show I, uh, this is Sarah, Sarah was like, oh this is my friend Lauren I brought along um, 
and we just hung out for about I don't know two or three hours had a drink afterwards and I was like this girl Lauren is hilarious she's making me laugh a lot <laughs> um, just some people that you click with yes. and so we just kept in touch from there um, she was doing stand-up for a little bit um, and then started doing improv and then um, I think we were both at a night in Stockwell Maybe it was a duck, duck, goose, something like that, where you know it's like the audience is mainly improvisers. There's jam, there's a jam, so anyone can jump up. No, that's duck, duck, goose, uh, which improv journeyman Mark Tyndall is involved in, I believe. A man with a military history, according to you. I was. We were talking, <laughs> can we just explain your military history of Mark Tyndall? You mentioned theory. something. You, said, you mentioned something about putting your back to the wall if your military training says that or something, and then I said, is there an improviser with any military background? And then I said, maybe Mark Tyndall, but my, maybe, I might be making that up. I mean, he, I know he worked, he worked, he used to work for a military museum. That might be where I've got the idea that he was in the army. <laughs> I mean, he might Storming the beaches of Kazakhstan. And you're like, mm, no, no, he just gives out tour guides. Um, but anyway. So, so Mark, do get in touch if you did have a military story, or if anybody else who's <laughs> listening does. Who knows? Maybe it's just the three of us. You, me and Mark. Um, so yes, at that night, I think Mark was there. Sure, I'm sure he was. Um, With his back to the wall in case of attack. <laughs> always ready if you've been trained in the military like Mark has. Uh, um, we, there were people just sort of jumping up and like, oh, we've got another slot for five minutes if anyone wants to have a go. Um, and I kind of looked over at Lauren and Lauren at me and were like, shall we? Yeah, let's put our name down. And so we just did a duo for the first time. Uh, I think, oh god, I've, ju I've skipped out a whole bit, Lauren will be annoyed, uh, I'm sure. We were in Music Box at the time together as well, right. uh, so we had been playing before that whole uh, oh. that whole um, Duck Duck Goose Night, but that was the very first time we played as a duo. Yes. Um, so, yeah, and then we realised it was super fun, um, and that we should try and do more of it. And it kind of, yeah, got bigger and bigger. So was it, so... Was there a plan for the sort of thing you were going to do, mm. or did you just think, hey, we, 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 we make fun together? We make fun. <laughs> that is our tagline, actually. <laughs> it's breaking and entering, that's semicolon, we make fun. <laughs> uh, yes, we, we really, we loved uh, TJ and Dave, and we love, we both love Dummy, and so, again, luckily, we knew that we were going for that kind of style of uh, relationship. Of, of wanting the audience to care about the characters, of it being funny, but also we want the audience to gasp, or we want the audience to to really be rooting for people to get together if they've broken up or whatever, um, as well as the laughs, because over 45 minutes, um, it just feels like more of a wholesome meal than just um, sort of quick fire sketches or whatever. So yeah, we both planned to do that style. And um, yeah, we have a, a, a monthly night at um, the Miller. <laughs> Always forgot the name of that. And yeah, yeah, and uh, we've done loads of we've done loads of festivals. We went to Dublin, which was lovely. What did you do in Dublin? Um, we did a show. Uh, it's just called Dublin Impro Fest. Um, we had the best shout out there, which was multi multi-story Jesus was our there are two words oh right so you hadn't asked for a um, religious leader <laughs> and a municipal thing and someone came up with multi-story Jesus oh, how we get suggestions is um, 
we get two names from the audience, and maybe it was like Michael and Joanna or whatever. Like, so something starting with M, something starting with J. Someone just shouted out multi-story Jesus, and we're like, sure, let's oh, do so that. so it was one person that gave you both parts? Both of them, yeah. Right, okay, fair enough. Yeah, for that common combination of words, multi-story Jesus. <laughs> but, uh, Combining, oh no, I'm going to say something terrible, the Irish's love of Jesus and uh, parking their cars. You know what? We did do a car park scene, of course. I think we might have even done an Irish accent, which is always the case. Why does it happen that whenever you go to another country and their festival, you end up doing a scene with their accent? We went to Philadelphia, <laughs> and I think beforehand we were like, let's make sure that, do that can we not try and do an American accent here? And I think we did. I'm pretty sure we ended up doing American accents. Like, you just tell that moment when we look at each other like, oh, we're doing it. We're doing it. <laughs> and now we started doing it. Yeah. We've got the stick with doing it. Exactly. It's not just because you listen to the people that you're around mm. with, and then you mirror them. That's and it. then suddenly, you know, you're in prof. You just you can't help it. I just have this fear that people think that we're taking the piss out of them when we go to their country. Like, <laughs> this is how you sound to us. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so that's fun. Um, and yeah, and um, I did, so I do a duo with Lauren, and I also did um, some stuff with Pippa Evans. Yeah. Um, we did the Amsterdam Impro Festival, which was super fun. Did you do a Dutch accent in Amsterdam? Oh, I think, not Dutch, but I'm pretty sure we did something like German, like equally offensive because it was very European, and just, I'm pretty sure we did. You're both in Europe here, yeah, it's practically the same thing, I'll just do this accent. Exactly, exactly. Um, <laughs> I know that we did, uh, when I went, I did um, an Estonia festival, Tallinn festival with Katie Shoot. Did you do Estonian accent? No, we probably should have, because it would have been better to understand. I know that we did a Scottish scene, it was really thick Scottish accent. I know, because most of the people in the audience, English was their second language, of course. (laughs) And they're looking at us like, I'm like, they have no clue what we're saying, because it's... We're making this very hard for ourselves, but they loved it. They uh, they were very generous. The audience, thank goodness, thank goodness. But yeah, uh, it's fun. It's fun travelling and doing the improvs. So do you do you, with accents? Is it does it just come naturally to you, or is it something that you've uh, practiced? Great question. Um, I think sometimes I can get a bit in my head about accents, in that. Because uh, Lauren's really good about good with accents too, so sometimes she'll jump into an accent, and it's usually the northern ones which I get a bit vague about. <laughs> so when so I'm fine when I'm copying Lauren's accent. Like right. if she starts off, they'll be like, oh, great. Oh, uh, so you can tune into what she's doing. And then, yes, ah, yes, yes. But if you were to say to me, "Can you give me a Lancashire accent or yeah. something like now?" Can I, you give me a Lancashire accent now? <laughs> You see? You're highlighting the fact that you'd find it difficult. Exactly. Whereas if I just leapt into one, you yeah. could probably copy it. Exactly. Do you, do you know Lancashire? What is like Lancashire? I just go generally northern. But yeah, it's, um, no, I can do, uh, do Bromley because I've got relations with Wolverhampton. Uh, so I can do that really easily. And when I go up there, I sort of slip into it and I think that I'm taking, I think I'm taking a piss, but I'm not. I'm just, you know, that's as far as north as I can go. <laughs> Very nice. Yeah, Very nice. Much. That's it. So um, I get in my head a bit about northern accents, but otherwise, um, yeah, uh, Andrew Gentilly gave me a good uh, piece of advice, because he's excellent at impressions and accents, as I'm sure you know, uh, in that he has a phrase which helps him get into it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And so uh, even if he doesn't say that phrase out loud, he'll be kind of repeating it just to get the vowel sounds. Yes, yes. Um, because uh, I've heard, I think it's Joe Samuels from uh, the May Days, 
talk about that and how he has a musical phrase. So if he's going to go into Mexico, mm. he has a kind of, you know, mm. in a similar way. And that, that puts him down the Mexican route. Sort of thing, That's like that. it. Yeah, yeah, just so you've got that platform of, yeah. of starting off. Um, yeah, and, and then once, you, once you're in it, it's fun, isn't it? Yeah. I I, um, I like <laughs> well it is fun but it's sort of fun because it's terrible yeah I did a show once and I was you know I really went for American and it just it just was a voice <laughs> it was yeah, I mean America's a huge place oh I know but even within there there was no accent that sounded like what I was coming out with but That's... you just have to plow on <laughs> <laughs> I love how we do just group all of American yeah. accents into the same like, you know American it's pretty much the same thing yeah. isn't it yeah 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 and and sometimes American teachers will come over and we'll do like a southern accent. <laughs> and they'll be like, you know, no one talks like that in Texas. Like, <laughs> how? It's just a caricature of it. Yeah. Um, no, I, I love getting into characters with accents, but um, it, sometimes it's nice just to uh, change my face shape and right. see what that person talks like. Wow. Um, which sounds complicated, but it's just like, I'm just going to have my lips out here or something. See what happens. Oh, she <laughs> tends to be someone like this. And that just comes from my lips rather than thinking, where in the world will I choose? Yes. And then sort of going geographically. Sometimes I just go from oh, that's really good. Yeah. weird I like faces. That. Weird faces. No, I like the yeah. weird face idea. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. yeah. So you mentioned you have a monthly night at the middle. Mm. What's, what's this called? What's it about? Oh, yeah. So the playground... I am super, super pumped exists because, rewind back, I don't know, two years? Because uh, I've been teaching for a little bit, two or three years, uh, at Hoopla. And so sometimes I'll go along to nights at uh, the Miller and I'll see my students in the audience. And sometimes I'll, there'll be a jam, right? And so this one particular night, I went to the Miller and I saw about seven or eight of my students in the audience. And then there was a jam, I think maybe it was C3 jam or something and I was like oh great they're going to get up and play and uh, one by one uh, interestingly the guys in my class put themselves forward and got up on stage and uh, then the girls didn't right these guys can all do a scene why are they not jumping up um, and then like uh, yeah just really noticed that the, the girls were but reticent. And the next time I saw them all in class, it's like, what happened? <laughs> Why don't you get up and play? Because, you know, it's a chance for everyone to. And the girls uh, said, well, actually, um, we just wanted to see, we just wanted to see what it was like. And then, you know, maybe next time we'll have a go. And the guys were like, well, we just want to have a go, which is fair enough. And so I thought, why, why isn't, what's the case with girls just not putting themselves forward? Sometimes I think, and now this is my theory, and I don't want to make any generalizations or sweeping stereotypical statements, but women, I don't think, um, take as many risks and putting themselves forward when they're only a bit sure about things. Like women will often wait till they're 100% certain how to do something, and then they'll be like, yeah, I can do that. Whereas I think on the whole, again, correct me if I'm wrong, from your male point of view, I think guys will be like, yeah, I'll give it a go. I mean, I'm only 50-50 about this, but I'll put myself forward. And um, so I was like, how can we make it so that uh, the, the girls, like, what would it take for them to get up and start doing stuff? I think maybe sometimes they just need a nudge from someone, an invite or a push. So uh, I was thinking maybe it feels like it's a bit uh, intimidating because there's guys there or whatever. Maybe there is something around gender. So I wonderfully had a 
speak, how to speak, how to speak, how to speak, how to speak, yeah. to, speak to um, Steve Rowe, the king of all improv. Um, <laughs> Or episode one, as I like to call oh, it. Oh, which is where it all begins. It always <laughs> begins with Steve. Steve is awesome. And I said to Steve, you know, what can we do to get more women in jams? Because it seems like it's like 90% guys. He was like, uh, if you want to run any nights or anything, it's completely up to you. So, the thing is, <laughs> I'm trying to remember the chronological order. Then I thought, well, let's run a night which doesn't, isn't like ladies only yay because it kind of annoys me when people make a big deal of it but let's just run a night where there's some really strong women doing some amazing stuff and then also let's just invite some newer girls along to do their stuff so um there was there was a night we did it just a one-off called the one night playground um uh, i'm trying to remember who, who was in that night it was like pippa and lucy pippa evans and lucy trod and uh i think sully uh yeah, um, gosh, I can't remember the. Uh, Best not to start unless uh, you can finish. It's good. Emily Murphy. <laughs> hey, Emily. Em what episode? Emily. <laughs> I can't remember which episode number she is. Sorry, Emily. Oh, why can't you remember? I don't know. So we all we all did that night. Are you going to look it up? <laughs> going to look it up. Now you see the thing was because this is an audio medium. Yeah. No one would have known. Look, there's even Emily's uh, Emily's class that she's teaching on Wednesday. So I am I am supporting her. Oh, there you go. Um, look it up. I can remember Steve because he was number one, Always. and um, and then you see I didn't want to say it and get it wrong. Which it's all maybe, right. Maybe I should have just committed, and then I could have dubbed it in afterwards. There she is. episode twelve. Twelve. Lucky uh, number twelve. Nearly. Uh, oops, I've actually started that. That's getting a bit meta when I start playing my podcast while recording another episode of the podcast. <laughs> so Emily, you've been on this episode as well. There you go. How does that make up? Emily's for great. Episode? I love Emily. Um, so yeah, so that's how it began. One night went really well. Well, we got a, a bunch of, we did the playground, and then um, Steve gave us a monthly night from then on. Uh, and obviously, uh, Lauren and I took it on with breaking and entering, making it a night that we run, um, so that uh, we could get all of the best girls that we could think of, and then also start inviting new students along and just putting together an ensemble for the night. So, I'm really, really, really proud of it now because it's a night where the strong, it's really strong women acts, but it's not, that's not the point of the night, if that makes sense. Like, it just so happens that the teams are made up of girls. And then the jam at the end, there's more women that are playing now. They put themselves forward and stuff. So, long story short, um, that's how it all happened. It was kind of like, why aren't there more women doing improv? Let's, rather than... Uh, Complaining, let's just make a night where they feel like they can get involved. And that's the playground, monthly. I mean, that's really interesting. And maybe there are parallels with the stand-up scene mm. where there are fewer women. Yeah. And they have to work twice as hard. <laughs> sort of talking about things I don't really know about. Well, there are definitely less women that do stand-up. Yes. And, uh, I mean, this is the conversation that could go for hours, and there's always so many reasons given. Um, one of the common ones is that it's quite an aggressive world, um, and that certain aggressive behaviours uh, are expected. But then, you know, there's so many talented uh, female stand-ups that are coming through now, I think. Mm. So the, the vibe is changing. Yes. And that's all that needs to happen. Rather than um, women need to change, it's more that let's make the nights a bit different so that 
it doesn't feel weird when a woman uh, has a different angle on yes. the style of stand-up to do. Um, but yeah, it's changing. Yes. Feel it. Yes. Feel it in the waters. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, go on. I was just going to say, this, I've never noticed any sexism in uh, London improv scene, thank goodness. Um, this was more just addressing uh, getting women to back themselves, mm. rather than guys weren't keeping women down, mm. it's just more that girls weren't putting themselves forward. So. And jams are, uh, jams are terrifying things. Yes. And, I mean, it's, it's terrifying performing with people you know and trust, mm -hmm. but, uh, I mean, I... I find it less frightening now, but only because I've just carried on doing it in the hope that eventually I would start to enjoy it. Yes. And I'm starting to enjoy it now, but yes. for a long time I thought, I don't even know why I'm doing this because I, well, I think once I, I think once I started doing it, it was all right. Yeah. But it just, it's like, I don't know you. I don't know what you're going to do. I don't know what you like. Yeah. Um, you yeah. could do anything. Exactly. Yeah, and and I'm it is. To cope. Yeah, it's terrifying, and I think you're right. Like people are terrified, so sometimes they do their worst improv yes. in yes. jams. Yes. And especially when there's a stranger opposite them, then they'll kind of go back to this is I, I don't trust you, therefore I'm going to do yes. something which isn't necessarily what I do with my teammates. So um, I think uh, jams are great for learning how to play with anyone. Yes. And literally like the worst people because you will see the worst in jams because, not because people are bad improvisers so much, but because they're terrified. Um, because either they're new to it or they're just, yeah, they're surrounded by strangers. Yeah. I mean, I, I got through it by resigning myself to, to the fact that I was probably going to do the worst improv that had ever been done. Not the worst improv yeah. I had ever done, although the two were the same, but probably the worst improv ever. Uh, and you know what? Nobody seemed to care. That's it's it. like nobody it's chucked so... me out of the improv scene. Yeah. Uh, you know. And that's why I think jams are so great because it doesn't matter. No one's paid to see you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's just basically a workshop, but on yes. stage. Yeah. There are only other improvisers in the audience. Yeah, exactly. Like, most of the time. Exactly. And I think you're right. This is absolutely the attitude. And I think more people should take the attitude of like, I just want to get some scene work in. Yeah. I don't expect this to be the best scene of my life. Yes. If it is, it's a lovely bonus, yes. but let's just play. Um, and I wish more experienced people would do jams purely to help uh, newer people in, in terms of showing how, even if you're terrified, um, it's going to be fine yes. kind of thing. Uh, so, so, yeah, I think there's a common belief that jams are only for new people. And I think experienced people can learn so much yeah. from having to work a little bit harder yes. looking after newer people. Yeah, sense. and the new people, they don't know the rules mm -hmm. and that's both a blessing and a curse. Mm -hmm. But, you know, they, the fact that they could do anything is kind of hugely exciting. And it's yeah. like, sometimes the things that you're not supposed to do, they do work because they're just guidelines, really. Yeah, and, you know. and um, this is going to sound really wanky. <laughs> That's what we love. This is our favourite bit. This is the bit we like the most. This is the wankiest thing. But I really believe, like, um, Michelle Obama <laughs> <laughs> nice. says that once you... Oh, I'm going to hugely paraphrase her quote, but she says something like, once you've um, succeeded and gone through the door of uh, success, it's your job to reach back and hold the door open and create opportunities for other people behind you. Wow. Like, yeah, yes. don't let the door slam shut just because you've succeeded. And I feel like that's absolutely what the improv community often is, which is great. Um, 
But we could always do more. Yeah. I think sometimes there can be a bit of an elitism of like, no, oh, well, I've, I've been improvising for seven years, or I've been improvising for ten years, I don't have to play with those people. Right. But I think it's your job to give them the experience, like the new people the experience of what it's like to play with yeah. an incredible improviser. Because you're holding the door open for them too. Because yeah. chances are someone's hold, held the door open for them yes. to get through. Yes. And then as a community, we all get better. Yes. Um, that's my wanky bit over. No, that's, that's <laughs> I really believe in that. That's inspirational. No, I think that's, uh, that's genuinely lovely. Mm. So you uh. mentioned you saw that you're going, you're travelling back in time now. Yes. Travelling back in your personal timeline. Personal timeline. And um, you said there was radio or teaching. Yes. Were your options. Yeah. So how did you discover um, improv? Accidentally. <laughs> so this, this is all by accident in my life. Um, my friend Amy Bunn, who did stand-up, uh, said, hey, there's an improv show in Balham, in Balham tonight. Do you want to come and watch it with me? Oh. Flashback to when I'm 12 years old, by the way. Further I love <laughs> the flashback. In New Zealand, in small town New Zealand, watching Whose Line Is It Anyway on TV, and I've always loved improv, always wanted to do it, but didn't really understand how I could. Flash forward to Amy saying, Come to this improv show, and me going, I love Whose Line, I'll love it. <laughs> so we turn up at Bedford in Balham, um, and we walk into the room, and I think it's Edgar. I can't remember if Steve was there, but it's a really small class. I love Edgar. Oh, I, I mean, I'll stick to you, but I love Yeah, it's, it was delightful. But they were all standing in a circle. Yeah. And me and Amy looked at each other and like, this doesn't look like a show. It's clearly, we're supposed to be watching a show. And they all stopped what they were doing and looked at us and were like, oh, sorry, is there an improv show here tonight? And Edgar was like, no, there's been a mix up with the listings. It was supposed to be a workshop and the show's next week. He's like, but you're welcome to join if you want. <laughs> I know. And so me and Amy were like, Okay, sure. So we literally accidentally walked into an improv workshop and it was the best two and a half hours of our life. Wow. Um, and I remember very clearly us walking outside of the, be uh, the Bedford, because Amy loved it too, looking at each other like when everyone else had gone squealing and going, what just happened? <laughs> we have just discovered this incredible thing um, and we did it. Uh, and so... Yeah, and I've never looked back since, so it was, wow. yeah. it was fate. It so, was fate. So would you have gone along had you known that it was a workshop? I don't, that's what, well I tell the story to my new newbies as well, like on their very first day, I don't know if I would have had the courage to. Yeah. So I'm always in awe of anyone who signs up to a workshop and then goes yes. for the first time ever, because I think it's quite terrifying. Yeah, no, definitely, and I think, yeah, if you've, if you've, because I think there are lots of people that think about doing it, yes. and then there's fewer people that actually sign up for it and then there's proportionally fewer people that actually turn up for the yes. first week so even if you just get through the front door yeah. of you know the, your first class you're, you're you've ahead. done the hardest stuff you get points for turning up yeah definitely yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. agree i think that's the hardest thing is to, is to go in and sit down your first improv class because everyone's so worried they have to be funny or yes. clever yes and that they're going to be showing up yes um and yeah so i i i don't know i don't know if i ever would have Sign up. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? But uh, it was a wonderful coincidence that yes. it happened. Because now look. Yes, now look where you are. Look at life. <laughs> How funny it is. Yeah. So we were talking before the podcast started mm. about guilt. <laughs> we, we did. We did touch on guilt, didn't this we? Is, this is because I think I feel guilty um, a lot of the time, possibly due to my Roman Catholic upbringing. <laughs> I mean, apparently Me there's, there's, some, there's some sort of connection with guilt there. I don't know. No <laughs> one's ever talked about it before. Uh, it's breaking new ground. 
you said. <laughs> What's that? Breaking new ground. Breaking new ground. Talking about uh, Roman Catholic guilt. Oh yeah, God. You know. Roman Catholic guilt. Um, so you, we were talking about because you were saying the difference between oh, yeah, right. laziness and but like what, if you're genuinely tired. Yeah. So what point does tiredness end? Yeah. And then laziness begin because exactly. I was asleep for three hours today before I came and did this interview. <laughs> Get this on the record. Exactly. And I and I said, well, maybe you needed the sleep, and that's where we don't know the difference. Um, that is, I think, probably one of the greatest paradoxes of our time, Stuart. Um, where does <laughs> laziness end? So double thumbs up there from me, because yeah. I'm looking forward to what you're going to say about this. <laughs> I mean, okay, so here's a big thing for me. I Because I work uh, freelance, so I manage my own time. Um, and that's uh, always uh, tricky, because I have to decide when I'm slacking or not. I work from home a lot. Um, I do obviously teach and I do uh, corporate training and stuff as well um, but the, my biggest problem definitely is like guilt on whether I should be resting or working or you know um, and I think there's something when you work at night time and then you go home and then like the next morning for me at like nine o'clock I'm like oh I should be working but actually I didn't get a night last night so I have this ongoing battle of how many hours in the day uh, I should be working and not I don't know where I'm going with this, but basically I'm always feeling guilty that I'm not working enough. That's right. that's that's my summary of guilt. Well, that makes me feel slightly better because <laughs> I feel the same, and I don't even work at my time particularly. <laughs> There's always something to do, though, right? Yeah. There's always, and even I think today more today more so than ever <laughs> with, with our constant like emails and and now and you can do anything at any time. There's no like leaving yes. work at the office. Yes. So there's constantly that thing on your shoulder, which is, I should reply to that email or whatever. But um, yeah, I constantly struggle with that balance of rest versus work. Um, and on a similar thing, mm. my current thing I'm wrestling with, uh, because I'm basically seeking therapy through yes, the podcast, um, is the balance between doing stuff and not doing stuff. Mm. And knowing in the future how I'm going to feel and how much stuff I should organise. Because I don't know how I'm going to... Say I've got a weekend coming up. and so yeah. I don't know how I'm going to feel at that weekend. How much stuff should I organise? Because mm -hmm. I have a problem between doing too much or not doing enough. Oh, I see. So like when you're planning your diary yes. and dependent on mood, you don't know what your mood's going to be. Yeah. yeah. I mean, great question. <laughs> great question. <laughs> I'm not really... Yeah, yeah that's fine. I, uh, I, well, here's the thing. Apparently, again... It's going to sound wanky. Apparently, you shouldn't wait for your mood to do something. You should do it and then your mood will adapt to it. Because sometimes you, you feel like, oh, I'll only start writing, I don't know, maybe if you're writing comedy or anything, I'll only start writing when I feel inspired. When it's, sh when it's actually the opposite. You start writing and then inspiration will come. Right. And so uh, through action can change our mood in a good way, I think. Awesome. Yes, and I know that to be true because I don't think there's ever been a time when I haven't felt tired mm. before I've done an improv show or an improv workshop. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. But I know that I've kind of resigned myself to that and that, you know, I'm never going to have this imaginary peak physical state that I think I have. I probably yeah. don't have it. That's yeah. probably... <laughs> It's probably this is as good as it gets. <laughs> this is you're just going to be tired for the rest of your life. Yeah, so I yeah. might as well get on and do the thing I love, even though. <laughs> yes, know. yeah, and there's things like 
uh, you know, people who work full time go, well, I'm too exhausted to do my real dream. You know, I'm on my real passion because I'm working. It's like, bullshit. If you really want to, if you really love what you're doing, then make time for it. And I absolutely agree with you um, when it comes to like finding energy for improv. I, there's been times when I've finished a day, like a few days on the trot of training in the daytime and then teaching at night. And I'm, I'm walking along the pavement. You know sometimes when you walk on the, on the footpath and everyone's passing you? Yeah. <laughs> you know you're the slowest yes. person. When I've gone into a class feeling that slow and that tired and then left two and a half hours later, being like the quickest person on the sidewalk <laughs> because I'm full of energy and yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean I go home and I sleep I sleep very well because I'm exhausted <laughs> but yeah I think that's the key it's just like make yeah. just get there do it yes. and then you'll you'll find energy yeah and I think that's why warm-ups are so important I yeah. find them really integral to it because it's you know we're getting out of the world we were in before and yeah. now we're in this new space mm -hmm. we've been present with these new yeah. people so uh, yeah yeah absolutely and then and we can go home and watch TV there's nothing wrong with that but if you're doing that every night, I always think, you know, is that genuinely what I want my life to be outside yeah. of work? You, yeah. you know, and if it is, fine. But if you're making an active choice, um, if you want to make an active choice to do something else, then you absolutely can, I think. Yeah. That's cool. That was a good answer. That was helpful. Thank you. <laughs> Anytime. I'm going to solve all my problems yeah. through asking people <laughs> the improv scene on a podcast. Yeah. So in short, plan everything for your weekend and then just do it. Right. Nice. <laughs> oh, well, there's that saying, um, bite off more than you can chew and then chew like mad. Yes. <laughs> I love that one. I've heard that one before. That <laughs> yeah. sounds good. Yeah. Um, cool. And then collapse and die. Yeah. Hooray. Uh, um, right. Brilliant. Okay. So um, time for the big finale. Oh, here the we go. Big yeah. No pressure. Okay. Lots of pressure. No pressure. <laughs> we love improv. It's brilliant. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> That's not the question. Oh, okay. That's just it. Sure. What would you like to see um, more of or something of in the London improv scene? What if I was going to say if you were in charge of improv, obviously you are. <laughs> in charge of improv. Yeah, I'm the of CEO improv. of improv. Yeah. I was going for Queen. But yeah. You know. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so, uh, of, of London, you know, where would you take the improv scene in London next? What, what do we need? Yeah. Well, I would love to see the equivalents uh, that we have, that there are in places like Austin or Chicago or New York, um, where there are multiple big successful schools and theatres for improv. I love the idea that um, you can learn different styles at different theatres and you can go and see that style at the theatre and you can learn that style and that everyone is successful. I would love more in improv in uh, London for there to be the collaboration um, where people are just, I, uh, I don't know if this sounds a bit like utopia, but people are uh, trying to promote all improv and not just their brand. And I know it comes down to money and people are trying to fill out classes, but there's what, seven million, eight million people <laughs> in this godforsaken town. And I think if we worked uh, together more, we could just get more people doing improv, knowing, like, don't stress that they're not doing your particular, tiny bit of the world. Yes. Yeah. Because we all 
surely we all know that a good improviser can do a Harold or can do a premise base or can do sort of physical clown base or whatever your school specialises in. So knowing that if you just, it sounds like a cult, <laughs> like <laughs> recruiting people, just sell improv rather than trying to um, be better than the other school. Just promote improv. Yes, make improv better than other yeah. art forms. Yeah, and um, and then people will come to London for improv and the the vibrant improv scene rather than just you and your one show or you and your one school. Um, a rising tide lifts all boats. I am the queen of cliches <laughs> in this podcast. Um, who's, who did I hear that from? I think that was, I remember I think first hearing it from Colleen Doyle of Dummy. If you honestly believe in that, then it does work. But you have to, uh, you have to cooperate. Um, and, you, and that comes from a place of trust in improv and not fear. I think sometimes people work on this fear base of like, well, I've got to be the better school, otherwise I'll lose all my students. That's ridiculous. We can all have loads of students. There's so many people in London. So just getting rid of the fear, I think, and uh, rivalry between schools and just everyone promoting together. That's what I'd like to see. Brilliant. Thanks. Mm. Nice. I, <laughs> I think that's, that's it seems to be, that seems to be, that's our big finish. Thank yeah. you very much. Pow! <laughs> just on a fist bump. <laughs> Rip Peters, thank you very much for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Yay! Yay. You got any good stories about being sacked from? Uh... <laughs> Bonus. Um, I did get sacked. Yes. <laughs> What's your favourite getting sacked story? <laughs> My favourite getting sacked story. I got fired from being a PA um, because I was awful at it. One point. It was a gold mining company. At one point, the guy that I was being a PA to, he was like, can you not be so loud on the phone when you answer the phone? At that point, I was like, I don't think being a PA in an office is the correct job for me. <laughs> I'm so shit at it. But yeah, that's my getting fired story. So they, they asked if they asked if I, um, they said they didn't need me at work. I mean, they didn't say that I was fired. They're just like, oh, we don't, I don't think we're going to need you <laughs> anymore. Okay then, I, I won't see you next week then. Yeah. Bye. Uh, but it yeah. helped you on the journey to the person you are today. That's so it. in a way, we've got to deal with that rejection, right? Yes. Damn it, my gold mining career is over. <laughs> Thank you very much indeed. That's brilliant. Thanks. I made this. That's improv. <laughs>